Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going today? It is swell, and I have some news for our listeners, all you Dynasty enthusiasts out there. Uh, pretty much since I've been, I left ESPN, what was that, a year and a half ago now, uh, the first wave of cuts from ESPN, many, many of you out there have been begging me and asking me, where can I find your Dynasty ranks, Matt? Where can I find your rookie ranks? Where can I find your fantasy ranks? Well, the first ever guest on this wonderful podcast, Mr. Sigmund Bloom, is joining us today, and I'm proud to announce that he's my new boss. I'm going to be writing for a column a week for football guys. I'm not exactly sure when that starts, and all my rankings will be find at footballguys.com. So if you haven't heard of them, you've been living under a rock. Sig, it's great to bring you on, boss. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're <laughs> you are a boss. Uh, no, it's fantastic. And it's just another wonderful thing. We all love to work with each other, whether it's on podcasts or doing mock drafts together or, uh, you know, get, getting to actually work on each other's sites. Uh, so that's fun. It's a fun time of year. You can feel the pedals opening in the football world and the fantasy football world. Uh, we've got more than enough to think about with the draft and then OTAs and mini camps give us that little drip, 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 gets us through the summer and our summer vacations and the next thing you know it's the season and it's always in motion and i think that's what keeps us so interested and, and certainly yes matt williamson exclusive rankings of footballguys.com and it's really fun because it feels like every year now around this time there's all kinds of great news and our, our little world uh and uh it's a fun world to be part of I'm, I'm just happy that i can continue to do it yeah you're absolutely right bloom it's been uh it's been a fun week with some people getting full-time jobs in the industry and uh, Matthew Berry's new fantasy show being announced recently. Lots, lots of good news. And uh, Matt, you're, you're just adding on to that. So we're excited for you and, and looking forward to your content over at football guys with bloom and, and the rest of the team over there. And uh, Sig, we're, we're still glowing in the NFL draft. Mm. Uh, just all all the events that took place, all the picks, some surprising picks, I thought. I guess what what were just your general takeaways from that weekend? It's almost three weeks ago now. Sure. Uh, what what stood out to you overall? Oh, yeah. And first, just from an NFL standpoint, I think what Houston and Kansas City did in the first round are potentially franchise changing moves. And I love the clarity. I love the aggressiveness. I love the the willingness to take a stand for a quarterback. And I can't wait to see what Andy Reid does with Patrick Mahomes. I keep I keep quoting this. that He said he wishes he had Alex Smith as a rookie. Now he has a player that he can mold, a player with a lot of natural arm talent and a lot of guts. And, of course, Deshaun Watson. And it really, this is the piece that the Texans have been missing. They don't necessarily need a game-changing quarterback like Patrick Mahomes can be. They need somebody who can keep their offense viable, take advantage, unlock some of the value they've had in DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and help a running game that you know didn't quite get the engine to turn over last year. Uh, so th- those two moves, I think, we'll look back years from now as big plate tectonics. From a fantasy standpoint, I felt like a lot of running backs gained value. A lot of wide receivers lost value. Of course, this uh, historic tight end class uh, is one that we all have to pay attention to. Uh, and you know, I think that, it was, again, was a, a fun draft for teams showing their uh, – aspirations you know carolina with versatility 
on offense. Um, Arizona, the versatility on defense. And we continue to see how the league is changing first and foremost through the draft and how these teams express their desires and the direction they want their franchise to go gives us an idea of where the league is going in general. Bloom, I'm curious about your your thoughts. You know, this doesn't apply to Dynasty as much, sure. but more of an NFL talk about the other landing spots, you know, the Trubisky. Yeah. I'm quietly very optimistic about Kaiser. I mean, if anyone's oh, yeah. this year's Dak Prescott, I think it's Kaiser. And I know you have strong thoughts on Chad Kelly, too. Yes. Okay. So Trubisky, um, I don't think he's as good as Ryan Pace thinks he is. Me either. Uh, but he can be – so So what's interesting is how destinies change on draft night, right? Because I think if – maybe even the difference between Trubisky going at his natural at the natural number three pick and the number two pick could change the course of his career, right? Because what we want for Trubisky is – especially because you're giving Mike Glennon $50 million – is to be in the incubator for a year. And moving up for him – makes it that much easier for the owner to pull strings. It makes it that, that much easier for the pressure to build up from the public outcry. It makes it that much easier to rush the first round quarterback. And how long has it been since a franchise was patient with their first round quarterback? I can't even think of one off the top. I mean, you know, some of the great success stories, right? Like um, Philip Rivers or Aaron Rodgers, you know, um, though we, I don't know that Trubisky is going to have that kind of story now. And the Bears and the confidence, I mean, I, I should laud them for the confidence. And the thirds and the fourth, it won't matter if they were right. But at the same time, I I'll, you can turn the page to Kaiser. I think Kaiser has a higher ceiling than Trubisky. I think that you, what you want is to rebuild his confidence. And you, Jackson, the optimist, is the guy to do that. And you mentioned Dak Prescott, and everyone will say, what did Dak Prescott have the offensive line? Well, look at this offensive line, Joe Thomas. And uh, Joe Platonio, Kevin Zeitler, J.C. Treader, maybe Cam Irving can work out as a right tackle. You have some good skill players around him. Uh, I love the situation there for Kaiser. And plus, he was a second-round pick, so there's not going to be as much of a rush to get him. And then Chad Kelly. And I'm going to, of course, quote Cecil here, because um, Cecil Lammy, my, my co-host on the Audibles, the, your definitive source for everything Broncos. But uh, Cecil says that a lot of teams were angry whenever they made it, Chad Kelly Mr. Irrelevant. And he thinks that they could easily trade him for a pick right now. Um, I, I think that uh, there are people in the organization that have been watching Kelly for a while. And I like the idea of John Elway, who was a bit of a wild child himself, basically having a sit down with Chad Kelly and saying, we know what you're capable of. Uh, Paxton Lynch, and this is a shot across the bow for Paxton Lynch, even though it's Mr. Irrelevant. The clock is ticking now for Paxton Lynch. And uh, I, I think that Chad Kelly from a fantasy standpoint, from an NFL standpoint, however you want to classify it, can end up being the best quarterback in this class. And I think if you watched him at Ole Miss and didn't know anything about the off-the-field stuff, it would be hard to have him outside of the top five quarterbacks in this class. So finally, a Mr. Irrelevant uh, that could be truly, truly relevant. And I, I honestly think that um, Chad Kelly, we're going we're gonna to sound the dynasty klaxon, right? We're going to sound the red alert at some point this year, like the first time that Paxton Lynch throws three interceptions in a game or something. And say, go out and get Chad Kelly, stash him, wait, it's going to be worth it. Bloom, before we get into your 100, and the last thing I just wanted to mention, and I've been seeing, you'll get into this because you're a Pittsburgh guy for those that yeah. don't know, a Steelers fan, and I'll be down there actually at minicamp for three days next week broadcasting, nice. seeing the whole crew. Get a rolling rock for me. Oh, an iron. Um, and uh, what was I going to say? Oh. 
what I've been saying on the Pittsburgh Airwaves, basically since the second Kaiser got drafted was, hey, Steeler fans, if yeah. this guy hits, look out. I mean, just think of the Browns with all their picks and all their cap room. If they enter this upcoming offseason without a need a quarterback, holy smokes, are they going to be loaded. Yeah, yes, and what Kaiser has is I think his running ability is going to translate better than in, uh, Watson because he, of his size uh, and because of his natural arm talent, and it's all there. I really think it's just a question of confidence and, and buy-in, and uh, I agree with you that the the um, balance of power – well, look, everyone's slotting the Steelers in their heavy favorite in Vegas to win the division, but I loved, which means I hated as a Steelers fan, the – the Ravens' first four picks, Ozzie just lets the draft come to him like he always does. They get four outstanding pieces for that defense. And uh, I, I think that even Cincinnati's draft, if their offensive line doesn't c- collapse, they added a ton of talent. Some of these riskier picks that they took come through their team. So the Steelers can never rest. Uh, and you know, it'll just – we turn the page. And, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the NFL is it doesn't take as long as we think for things to turn around. Bloom, before we get to your your Bloom 100 that we yeah. we want to talk about so much today that we'll focus on, uh, with two Steelers fans here, I have to ask about today's news, which is the Steelers parting ways with Ladarius Green. We know all about his injury history, uh, especially over the past year plus with Pittsburgh. What are they going to do at the tight end spot, and is is Green just done? Well, I think that he's got to seriously consider that. Um, you know, the, no one's ever come out and said it, but it has to be concussion issues. And I, I, I think that you know, this is one of the, you know, Jordan Cameron is another guy recently that just said that's enough. Um, as far as the Steelers, you know, we've got Jesse James. He's serviceable. He's competent. Um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of upside there. I'm very interested for, in the deep dynasty perspective from Xavier Grimble who coming out of USC, you know, had some physical traits that you liked, but really didn't have much of a game to unlock those traits. But I think that he's been developing slowly. Um, and then, you know, let's the Steelers need to get on the, the basketball tight end bandwagon. I mean, they're the perfect team to have a, a, a basketball convert tight end. You know, we're seeing what Eric Swope is doing. Um, you know, they got Scott Orndorff, another. They brought, they brought like, what, three pan, Pitt Panthers in between the draft and, and uh, undrafted free agents. Yeah, I think he was maybe more of a blocking tight end. Yes, um, yeah. But but Grimble's very interesting to me because I think he has some of the athletic traits you want that Jesse James doesn't quite have. If he has them on paper, you don't quite see them on tape. Um, but it, it, James could be a low end. Uh, Jesse James can do everything Jack Doyle can do. So I, I think that James is going to be one of those guys that is left uncovered on a lot of plays. And I, I think that with this news about Ladarius Green, you're going to see him start to move up the board and redraft and in Dynasty. You know, what's interesting to me is you know, we had heard these rumors for a while, you know, and there's been a lot of uncertainty around Ladarius Green basically since he got signed by the Steelers. Um, but I was down there for the draft, and my people, you know, I, I wasn't chatting with Coach Tomlin about it, but people that know their stuff down there were pretty confident that, you know, they had faith in Green. You know, the, that they were they, – everything was positive that I was feeling out on Green. And then they didn't take a tight end. And so this came as a shock, you know, this, this recently after the draft without the option to go – get somebody else. Um, I don't know how this affects dynasty all that much and say get some great points, but their offensive line is unusually deep. Now they have a ridiculous amount of wide receivers. It wouldn't surprise me if we saw more six O line sets and more four receiver sets in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, and that's the idea of Juju and Eli Rogers on the inside, mm-hmm. and and Bryant and Brown outside. Well, you, I mean, whether it's Ladarius Green or however you line these guys up, they're going to be. And then also, oh, Ladar- uh, Le'Veon Bell and how he matches up. I, I think that yeah, Matt, how many years do we do this though? It feels like every year since Le'Veon Bell showed us what he could do, we say, "Oh man, you know." How can it, how can teams match up with the Steelers' offense? But it never comes together. So I, I'm I'm a little bit gun shy. But on on paper, this is why the Steelers are the favorite in the division. Yes, but I'm sure there's a lot of Browns and Jags and Bills fans out there that aren't exactly crying for the Steelers' offensively. No, no. Well, and this is this <laughs> yeah. is where like I understand why everyone hates Steelers fans now. You know, we're in some Patriots fans are the worst, but we're close. We're, we're, cl- we're close behind with our neurosis. And yeah, so that's why we should just turn the page right now. All right. We will turn the page and uh, we'll turn to the Bloom 100. Sig, this is an article. You write a pre-draft version, a post-draft version. And just tell us a, a little sure. bit more about this. How long have you been writing mm-hmm. this article? I feel like I've been reading it since I've been playing Dynasty, I, I think. Tell us yeah. more about that. Yeah, I think it was 2005 or 2006. I've lost track. I think I, one year I posted it on the Football Guys message board before I was a member of the staff. Um, I liked I, – what really got me hooked on fantasy football was these dr- leagues we did through Yahoo groups. They were just text files in the early 2000s, 20 teams. They were um, cap contract leagues, and they were extremely deep, including IDP. So – you had to really understand players, even undrafted free agents. And it just gave me an excuse to do what I wanted to do anyway, obsess about the draft. And these kinds of leagues uh, give you the most difficult task in rookie drafts, which is weighing offense against defense and deciding how to tier players, mixing in the positions. Obviously, we go back to that cardinal rule, know your lineups and scoring, know your lineups and scoring. So the Blue 100 is not one size fits all, but at least within tiers and positions, I'm ranking my favorite 100 players for these leagues where you have a full defense, usually three wide receivers, a flex or two, maybe tight end premium. These leagues, that are, and I, I love playing them where they make every position important and it makes drafts more unpredictable and it's more about taking a stand on the player. Um, and, and as I've done it, and Matt Walden and I talked about this on the couch this week, I, I had destination as maybe 10% or of the grade or so at the beginning. So I thought talent's everything. Talent creates opportunity. Talent creates destiny. Now I've really softened on that more. And I think the margins are smaller than what they may look like as we're trying to rank these players pre-draft and destination can be everything. So this year there's been a lot more movement and even post-draft, post-post-draft, right? Because we'll talk about when I set it in stone on my, and I try to get it out Monday morning because a lot of rookie drafts start on Monday. But then with a little bit of time to think about it, Certain things look more appealing. Certain things look less appealing. Angles approach that we didn't, uh, angles emerge that we didn't quite see when the players were drafted, maybe comments. Um, and it, it's, it, it's ever changing. But the beautiful thing is when you have the desire to really get to know these players at the time of the draft, then everything that starts to happen in their career after that makes sense. You know, it's a, it's a story and you get to really know that opening paragraph, the intro of the story, when you familiarize yourself with these players you know, intense, detailed way at the draft. Then when players start to break out or you see like, oh, you know, this player just got called up, called up from a practice squad. You know the difference between somebody that's just going to be a possession receiver and, and somebody, you know, say like an Ishmael Zamora, who if he does hit, will hit really big. One reason I love this article, or I guess this series of articles, is it's it's so easy to get inside your head. You put it all out there, both pre-draft and post. And, and then you're we're able to compare 
these players that changed from uh, before we know their landing spots to after. And, and those are the players we want to focus on uh, with this first part. Some of your biggest risers, and we'll start with, I know one of Matt's favorite guys, and maybe yours as well, Sig, James Conner. He was uh, holding down that 73 spot in your pre-draft, uh, I'm sorry, Bloom 100, and then moved all the way up to 37 post-draft. So uh, obviously landing there with the Steelers, he gets to stay in Pittsburgh. He's now with your favorite team. I'm sure it's not that bias that moved him up. So what is it? No, and, and 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 to be honest, I've moved him up even more since then. And a couple of players that I didn't immediately react to that I want to make sure I mention, Joe Williams, and of course everybody's on the Joe Williams train now, um, and Chad Williams, all about the Williamses. Uh, the more chance I've had to reflect on some of these picks. But Connor, and Connor's, and I've also been taking Connor late in my MFL 10s. I'm, I, I made sure to put Connor in my top 50 running backs in redraft leagues. Because Connor can change your fantasy football season. And from a dynasty perspective, he can change the destiny of your dynasty team. Le'Veon Bell, whether he was joking or not, on April 1st, said he's not going to play under the franchise tag. Le'Veon Bell has had a, a major injury every year of his career. The Steelers may or may not decide to sign him to a long-term contract. This is the best running back situation in the league the best running back situation in fantasy football. When D'Angelo Williams was the starting running back, he won leagues for people. James Conner, even if he's kind of a middle-class Jordan Howard, and of course that means a lot more than it did a year ago, can be what D'Angelo Williams was for this offense, or at least 90% of that, whether statistically or what he provides on the field. And I also think this is one of those situations where narrative belongs in fantasy football. If you were watching the draft or you were just watching it through Twitter, when this pick happened, there was a release of energy. Everybody felt it. You felt it ripple through the football world. Uh, it was a very good feeling when Connor was drafted on the second day. It was a great feeling when the kid from Erie stayed in Western Pennsylvania, stayed in Pittsburgh. And, I just think this, and look, and, and Matt can, can um, you know, he can corroborate this. The Steelers taking him at the end of the third round means, what do you think, Matt? Second round grade? They had a second round grade on Connor? Or what we would say is like top 50 on their board, probably? Probably. I mean, I know for a fact the reason they took Juju is because they had a way higher grade than a late second on him. Right. I'm not sure it's as much the case with Connor, but I do think it's, you know, interesting because Coach Tomlin walked past us and very off the record was laughing. He's like, do you effing think that we would take a kid from next door, which is a pit facility yeah. and locally, and it's a good story. If we didn't think he was the best running back in the board in the yes. third round, I mean, are yes. you serious? And then right. the other note on him on, on all the ones you mentioned is I think he's like the number one handcuff in redraft, but Bell's also a free agent after this year. Yes. Well, and and I, I can't you just you know if we're gonna do this like psychological on the couch kind of stuff, can't you just see if if, if and the idea of being with James Conner is if you watch 2014, he's worth a third round pick, not a second round pick. If you watch yeah. last year, if you watch last year, I mean, watching last year, I had him more as like a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. And but he fact, got better as the season went on. Exactly. And That's then and, and the Steelers are buying into this idea obviously that the, the directory is pointing back up. He's young enough for the rejuvenation. The, the recuperative powers of his body are going to get back what he lost 
battling cancer. And can't you just see from a psychological standpoint for everything Le'Veon Bell has done, if James Conner is solid and competent in all aspects of the game, the Steelers are saying, we don't, we don't need to pay you 40 or $50 million guaranteed when you're one slip up away from a suspension, when you can't stay healthy, when really the Steelers did, and it's brutal, it's unfair, but actually what the Steelers are doing is probably what teams should do. On a rookie contract, use up a running back. Right, nobody Use uses up. a guy up like Tomlin. Tomlin Use him up. The and then when it comes time for a second contract, just get another rookie. Yep. Uh, last note on that, though. And you and I are all simpatico, and now you're my boss, and yeah, we're yeah. talking about Steelers <laughs> and loving everything up and Iron City and Permanis. But, dude, you got Connor still way too high, 37. He's like 16 or 18 on my yeah, board. Yeah, he has to be known. And since then, and since then, and, and I want to tell everybody that I do continue to update my rookie rankings at uh, footballguys.com. When, uh, you know, at the Bloom 100 is a snapshot on that Monday morning after the draft. Like, this is, you know, just my first thought, gut reaction. Right now, he's 19. And I'm, and I'm this close to moving him ahead of guys like Chris Godwin, and uh, Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson and and Carlos Henderson. Really, what you have is Joe Williams and James Conner, and narr- this is where the narrative belongs in fantasy football. Moving up to like late uh, first, early second round rookie draft grades, especially like if you own Carlos Hyde or you own Le'Veon Bell, these guys are worth a late first round pick for you to make sure that your team this year will be set at running back with either of those positions. Well, I'm glad you commented on there dynasty rookie value that's exactly what I was going to ask you regarding Connor but kind of flipping that on the other end these concerns that you mentioned with Bell which which are fair where do you, where are you ranking him in dynasty I guess especially yeah. in comparison to Elliot Johnson if you want to include Gurley still sure. in that group sure and I, I th- and Gurley's not still in that group sadly I mean, I still love the player, um, but I think there's a clear top three there. Um, and I, I think you ha- you have to have Bell third. You have to have Bell third just because of the, the suspension and injuries. Now, David, John, I have I, I have Bell third also because I think James Conner is going to get more work than D'Angelo Williams did, too. Um, and then we see we see where Bell goes after this. But as Matt was saying. Nobody's going to give Bell the if he goes on to another team. No one's going to give him the workload that he got. And you know the team the team that I, I I automatically think of if we were just doing some sort of fun exercise here. Like if Le'Veon Bell is not a Stealer next year, he will be a and then the me- team that immediately pops into my head is Patriots. He'll be a Patriot wherever he ends up. Though he won't get these ninety plus percent of the snaps, ninety plus percent of the touches. Um, and I do think with Le'Veon Bell, there's a certain point where you have to look at the history, the injury history. And you you wonder when it starts to catch up with it, his style a little bit. So uh, he's third, but if there's a big big gap to number four. I agree with that, and and I've I've mentioned on here before the importance of having those tiers. And if we view Elliot Johnson Bell all in the in one tier, then I think Bell has to be third. You you know you take the guy with the risk, whether it's injury, whether it's off field stuff. In this case, Bell has both. And he should be he should be the last in that tier. Um, so I, I would agree with that as far as Bell being third. Uh, let's move on but to he's another. So good. <laughs> he's so good. Well, Zeke and Zeke and DJ aren't too bad themselves, though. See, I think Bell's a much better football player than Zeke. Not much, but a tier above him as a football player. 
Like if, if I were to bet if any of those guys were in the Hall of Fame, I would bet on Le'Veon Bell. That's right. Well, look, Bell, Bell's the one. Well, I think what um, – who was it? It was um, Dane Brugler from CBS uh, called Ezekiel Elliott a chameleon back, which I thought was a beautiful way to sum up what he did. And, and the, the special sauce for – Elliot is that he can run zone. He can run. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can run zone. He can run. Uh, you know, gap power. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can pass block very well. I think Le'Veon Bell and no one could have forecast this at Michigan State. It, he isn't necessarily that kind of back, but for the kind of offense, really, they're perfect for each of them for the offenses they're in. And if you swap them, they wouldn't be quite as ideal. But I agree with you that what Bell does is so rare that I don't think. You know, there are guys you can watch Ezekiel Elliott and say, this reminds you, this reminds you, that. No, there's nobody that Le'Veon Bell reminds you of. He's, he's a one-off. We got to get away from the Steelers, but I have one more point on Bell. And I've said this a bunch about him lately, is if you take the greatest backs in history, Gail Sarles, Earl Campbell, the Jews, Barry Sanders, Brown, Walter Payton, and you put them all in boring-ass Penn State, all-white jerseys with no numbers on them, <laughs> all of us would say, that's Gail Sayers. That's Barry Sanders. Oh, that's the juice. Le'Veon Bell's that same way. I mean, like a great artist. You you know when Jimmy Page is riff. You know you know the oh that's Clapton. Mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 the same way. So like another running back you had moving up your your ranks quite a bit is Aaron Jones, Green Bay Packers. He moves from seventy to forty three. Of course, the Packers. Uh, we knew they'd be adding a running back. They have Ty Montgomery there, converted from a wide receiver. They let Eddie Lacy walk. They also drafted to Jamal Williams before adding Jones. And I think Jamal Williams was a riser for you as well, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've seen a few people say they like Jones more than Williams in dynasty, dynasty leagues. Are, are yeah. you, do you agree with that? I don't agree with that just because I see Williams as more of a potential three down uh, back than Jones, but they're both excellent players. And I think that the sad reality here is that the fact that they ended up on the same team kind of cancels each other's value out. But at the same time, injuries happen or, you know, lots of different things happen and we could easily end up in a situation where one emerges over the other, but you know, they're different backs. Um, Jamal Williams is maybe a little more like James Conner in the sense that there's not one flashy thing about his game that you hang your hat on, but he can be a very solid three down back. And I don't know if the Green Bay is going to give a running back an opportunity to do that, but if they do, he would be the one where Jones is uh, quick, um, has a second gear or even a a third gear, uh, is a hard-nosed, compact running back. And he's the kind of running back that, oh, you know, maybe someone like Ahmad Bradshaw comes to mind um, when I think about what he provides. And then Ty Montgomery, of course, gives a whole, whole other flavor. Um, and I, what's interesting here is the way that the Packers kind of stumbled into what they should have been doing all along with Aaron Rodgers. And that's also something that might keep us from liking. I mean, I think they can use all three of these backs effectively. The reality is that maybe week to week, it might look like a New England kind of situation where we can't predict who's going to have the best numbers. Uh, but as again, as injuries happen, as, as things move on, one of them can bubble up to the top. It's a fantastic situation in Green Bay. So these are the kind of guys you like to just have on your bench in Dynasty Leagues and, and see what happens because we know they can play and we know it's a good situation. Of your players who really moved up quite a bit, the one who, in your Bloom 100, like you mentioned, may have changed by now, the one who jumped to the highest spot, I guess, is Marlon Mack. He goes from 55 to 33. 
Uh, if you take out the IDP players, that maybe puts him in that late second round range. I guess the question with him is, do you view him as the heir apparent? Is Frank Gore slowing down? Do you, do you believe in Mac as a long-term option there? Um, probably not truly in a, a three-down role, but uh, let's let's say he's he's a an off-brand Tevin Coleman, and well, uh, the Colts have shown shown little to no inclination to invest heavily at running back. We know, I mean, it's very likely Gore's last year, and I think that you could see Marlon Mack in a committee with another running back. This is also the kind of offense that can accentuate the skills of someone like Marlon Mack, where you want to get him outside the tackles, you want to get him out of space, you want to let him use some of those moves, some of the, some of the, the solemn skier style he has, the burst that he has, the playmaking he has on that turf in Indianapolis. Uh, you have Andrew Luck. You're spreading offenses out. Uh, they're most concerned with slowing down luck. So I could absolutely see Marlon Mack. Again, like just imagine Tevin Coleman in the Indianapolis offense. Even if he was sharing, he's not going to be sharing with somebody as good as Devontae Freeman, Marlon Mack, that is, long term. So, and this, this goes back to that original point I was making about destination being so important where I didn't like Marlon Mack as a player, really. I thought he was limited. I didn't like Tevin Coleman that much either. I didn't like Jeremy McNichols, another player that moved up a lot. But when you look at Jeremy McNichols, you say next year, who's he really going to be competing with for touches? And this is a great offensive line. I mean, it's an offensive line's coming together, a great offense, a great quarterback, a team that's really coming together. So why can't Jeremy McNichols lead them in touches next year and be a fantasy relevant running back? Um, so I don't, I think that Marlon Mack actually, it's a good fit in Indianapolis and I don't expect them to make a big splash with the running back in free agency or the draft next year. Although, it, you know, um, I do think that Carlos Hyde will be out there. So that could be an interesting pair of those two guys. Mac, we had a lot of experts on before the draft and nobody you either loved them or you hated them. I mean, yeah. he was the most polarizing guy that we talked about going into the draft. People despised him. He gets stuck behind the line of scrimmage too much. And others are like, yeah, but he's Tevin Coleman. You know, like, yeah. so uh, you can see that. Yeah, and it, it's in the explosive plays, I think, is what could, much like Coleman, I think is what could, you know, you, you're willing to take seven carries for a total of three yards if the eighth one is a 60-yard touchdown. And, and especially if they set Mac up correctly, he can do that. All right, Sig, let's move over to some of your fallers. This was interesting to me because a couple of guys that – have really had my attention in some of my early rookie drafts. You're have kind of fallen out of favor with you. Josh Reynolds is the first one. You had him at 29 overall in your pre-draft Bloom 100. He falls to 41. Is that just a landing spot situation? It is. And you know what's funny about this is that I think I was doing a I was doing a rookie draft with uh, the Roto World rookie draft, uh, Roto World Dynasty League rookie draft. And I think it was Ray Ray Summerlin who took. Um, Cooper Cup and Josh Reynolds, or maybe a Gerald Everett, or two. That, that that's the point, right? Is they I actually individually? I like all three of those guys. I like Reynolds. I like Cup, and I like Everett. Um, but they also have Tyler Higby. They also have Tavon Austin, who's uh, has an extension. Is going to stay part of this offense. And they have Todd Gurley, and it all connects at Jared Goff, but. Jared Goff doesn't look to me like he's got star fantasy star making qualities as a, a quarterback. Jared Goff is probably going to get two more years to a fail before they move on from him. 
And I just don't see a path. So one of the things I think about when I'm doing the Bloom 100 is a three-year window. If I can't see a player, and this is why a lot of wide receivers took a hit in, in the post-draft 100. If I can't see a path to fantasy relevance, right? Like the running backs we've been talking about. I mean, I see a path for Marlon Mack. I see a path for Jeremy McNichols. I see a path for uh, um, even Donnell Pumphrey, you know? I don't see a path for these Rams. I think they're all solid players, which means they all kind of cancel each other out. I think Tyler Higby is the most interesting of the group. And I see them deploying them in a way where you're using these guys equally. I don't see one of them rising above the others. And it all depends on Jared Goff, which if you're asking me that and I'm on the clock and I'm choosing between, you know, Cooper Cup or Josh Reynolds or Gerald Everett and a player with a clearer path. I mean, how patient can we be with the Rams offense? How patient can we be with Jared Goff? While you, while, you know, if you can take Chad Williams instead of one of these other receivers or Taewon Taylor, um, it's hard to pass that up whenever I can't tell myself a story that the Rams off pass offense will be producing fantasy stars in the next two or three years. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. And uh, you still have Reynolds at 41. You pull out the IDP players and that puts him in the you know, probably the mid 30 range. So it's not like you're super low on him. That's, that's basically where he's being drafted in early rookie drafts. Uh, the other one. Real quick thought on the Rams though, is I think Goff's a real buy low right now, just because sure. I think Fisher to McVeigh is almost like what happened in San Francisco. I mean, I, I think it's going to be do wonders for a guy like Goff and the offense. And we'd have seen such bad banal Rams offense for so long. I think McVeigh's going to change that. Yeah, well, like Ding Dong, the witch is dead, and I, I and I, yeah. I think that, and I think you're right about Goff. I mean, that's the idea too, is that all of these players intersect at Goff, where they might cancel each other out and not any individual be fantasy relevant, but they could help Goff and they could help Gurley. The next player you had falling down your board a bit was Ardarius Stewart. Um, now, granted, you did have him 13 overall, which was uh, probably among the highest in the industry pre-draft. He's down to 23. Uh, you could call that late second, maybe even mid-second after you pull out Miles Garrett and some of those yeah. other defensive players. Uh, so you still like Stewart, but this ranking tells me the draft hurt him, in yeah. your opinion. And I mean, and I, I, you know, I, I can group D.D. Westbrook and Stewart together because I had them 12 and 13. And, and, from a, and look, I said in the, the pre-draft stuff, like the wide receivers after the top three were very difficult to separate. And situation was going to sort out a lot. And in fact, 22-23, um, Stewart and Westbrook have fallen even a little further behind guys like Connor, like Joe Williams. Um, you know, and Chad Williams, again, is a guy I continue to look at. Kenny Galladay is someone I continue to look at a little bit more because you're looking for paths to fantasy relevance here. And what's beautiful is, by the way, I want to take a step back and say, as I'm right now drafting Hyperactive 2, what a brainchild Ryan himself, um, and thankfully, uh, I I think it's one of the hyperactive leagues that I'm not in your division. So because because it makes it much more difficult when you are. Um, but what's beautiful is well into the and, and the hyperactive leagues have a four round rookie draft. And what's another thing that's neat about the hyperactive leagues are since it's 26 players, you're having to cut some solid players sometimes to make your picks, and that decision's made even harder this year because. The, well into the fourth round, you're seeing some of these guys. You're seeing some of these names that uh, I I think third and fourth round rookie draft picks in 
these leagues are worth more than they've been in years past. I like the names. I like the situations. So if I'm settling, so in that Roto World Dynasty rookie draft that I'm talking about, I got Westbrook and Stewart in the late third of a 14-team rookie draft. And I understand why, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm part of this train, but at some point you say, well, I'll take the talent and we'll see what happens. Because with our Darius Stewart, I think what you have in the Jet, with the Jets now is a bunch of number two receivers. You've got Stewart, you've got Chad Hansen. Uh, Chad Hansen's free in, in rookie drafts right now. You know, if Chad Hansen would have ended up in the Saints, I might take him in the second round of rookie drafts. Uh, you've got Robbie Anderson. We've got some rest things to sort out there. And Quincy Anunua, not to mention Eric Decker, who will be there for one year if he's even there for one year. So you have four number two receivers and from what I can see, no quarterback. So what are they going to do? You know, I mean, Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo ends up there next year or Kirk Cousins. I don't know. That's the best case scenario. But I, I wouldn't count on that. They take a quarterback next year. Okay, they're probably taking a quarterback with a new head coach, if not a new GM. I, I, I love our Darius Stewart. Four or five years from now, I could be kicking myself for all the times I pass on him. But the thing is, I, you don't maybe don't have to pass on him because he's still there in the late third of, of rookie drafts because of that. D.D. Westbrook, maybe there's a little, a little bit brighter outlook with him just because Alan Hearns, uh, that contract they might look and want to get out of from under because they maybe overpaid him. Marquise Lee's going to be a free agent, but still, it's Blake Bortles. You know, I mean, it's just how is he going to magnify the value of his receivers? I love D.D. Westbrook, but at some point, you have to say, like, we if you play dynasty fantasy football and you're taking guys for what they're going to do in year three, four, and five. You're always going to be on the hamster wheel. You're never your team's never going to actually. You're always going to be playing for tomorrow. And I think some of these running backs who landed in good spots are better picks because even if they, even if like a Wayne Gallman flames out and, and Paul Perkins takes this backfield and runs with it, then you can just move on with that spot and do something else with it where you have these guys clogging up roster spots and it can really keep your dynasty team from getting to that next spot. So that's what worries me with guys like Stewart and Westbrook. I, I think the path to fantasy relevance mindset is, is obviously a smart one. And even though it's, it sounds like an obvious thing we should consider when making picks. I don't think that's always the case. I, you know, maybe we're relying on pre-draft rankings or what we thought of that player before, uh, before we found out these landing spots. But I guess I wonder, and, and we'll get into some of your draft strategy a little bit later, but this idea, is this something you, you're asking yourself throughout the uh, rookie draft, even in the first round, if you have an early pick, is that something you're considering or does it become more about talent at that point? Well, this year um, it has situation didn't sort out the top seven at all, honestly. And I just stuck with my original talent evaluations um, because I think that there's, there's warts with every one of these, you know, with Leonard Fournette, it's the Jags. They're going to set them up with winning game uh, scripts, um, competence, you know, in this organization to create the offense that they want with Blake Bortles, with uh, Mixon and Cook. There's offense, big offensive line woes. Um, with McCaffrey, it's just a question. And McCaffrey's the easiest one to buy in on because of the the well-rounded skill set and talent. And I actually think Mike Shula did some good things with this offense two years ago, and I, I think that he'll probably deploy him pretty well. Um, but I, I do think that the path to relevance is something you, you should be thinking about, even with those first round picks, depending on your team. And, and the idea is uh, you always want to 
be, and this is how, you know, and, and to be perfectly honest, the path to rel fantasy relevance is not something like, again, when I was doing the Bloom 100 10 years ago, I was, I was just looking at the, I was breaking down the tape and picking out the best talents, but um, there've been players I've missed on because I wasn't just looking at how easy it was for them to be relevant. Now, that being said, and this could be one that you can have me on later and I can, and there'll be a lot of podcasts. I'll do a tour, the Zay Jones tour because Zay Jones has a path to fantasy opportunity, but will it be relevance? Can it be enough for him to be relevant? And maybe again, uh, let's file Buffalo Matt under the the Rams 49ers list of like, oh, finally the ding dong, the witch is dead. Finally, Rex Ryan's gone. And maybe this offense can resemble a competent offense with Rick Dennison. Uh, you know, Tyrod Taylor is an interesting guy now because of that. But I just think when sure. I think when I think complimentary receiver in Buffalo, I don't think fantasy value. When I and, and sure, right, Sammy right, Watkins, right, right. Sammy Watkins might be gone next year, but Zay Jones isn't a number one in any scenario. So I I, I think that oppor instant opportunity is nice, but it's not everything. Now I'm with you on Jones. I'm not going to probably own him anywhere. And I think everyone's looking at this too harshly. I mean, that they didn't pick up the fifth year option on Watkins. They could still franchise him. Uh, they could still sign him to a long term deal. They could go sign the next receiver. There's a ton of free agents. You know, all the guys from that class. The Moncriefs and Montave or Bryant's and Landry's, they're all hitting free agency. It's not like Zay Jones is gonna, you know, moonwalk into a number one spot. Um, you talking about relevance though, and and I one of something that's very relevant to this show is our buddies at Loot Crate. I want to tell you guys about Loot Crate. Uh, May's theme at Loot Crate is Guardians. You know, as you guys have been listening for a while, every month they have a different theme. This crate comes to your door with a different theme each month for all you geeks out there. I mean that in the most respectful way. Um, this month is Guardians of the Galaxy 2. People are loving that movie. Star Wars, Destiny, Goonies. Hey, I'm a big Star Wars geek. Um, and then there's a prize. One lucky subscriber also wins a mega crate featuring a premium format group figure from Slideshow Collectibles that stands over 22 and a half inches tall as, when he, as, many, as well as many other prizes. It's the best surprise you know is coming. Last month's theme was investigate, had like X-Files and things like that. Uh, everything is authentic, licensed, exclusive. Uh, every month includes a different theme with new exclusive items. It's over $45 in value for every crate, and it's less than 20 bucks a month. And it's even cheaper when you use our promo codes. So you go to www.lootcrate.com slash Dynasty Blueprint and enter the code Dynasty Blueprint, and you'll save a couple more bucks off an already cheap subscription now. All right, Sig, let's look at a few players. Uh, I, I called them outliers in your rankings. If you look at some, some of the typical rookie mock drafts going on, or, or I'm sorry, not mock drafts, but actual rookie drafts now, these rankings might not jive with that. We've got Adam Shaheen, second-round tight end to the Bears. You've got him at 56 overall. Again, that, that does include some, some defensive players in there ahead of him, but – I've seen him going as high as the second round. I'm not yeah. sure I'm on board with that, and I'm guessing you're not either. I'm no, no. Well, and I mean, Shaheen's a nice player. Um, you know, to be perfectly honest, as much as I was one of the people uh, shouting from the the rooftops, this tight end class is going to shake up fantasy football, and it still will, but it's hard for me to see some of these guys in their situations again as, as somebody who's going to really hit that level. Um, because in... in, in Fantasy tight ends, you really have uh, Gronk, Reed, 
Kelsey, uh, Greg Olson, and Tyler Eifert as a clear, distinct group. And then Jimmy Graham and, and Martellus Bennett, I think, are not quite the difference makers that those five are, but close. And then there's just some guys, you know, to me, like Kyle Rudolph and Eric Ebron and Zach Ertz. You know, these are these are these aren't guys that are going to tilt your fantasy week or fantasy season most of the time uh, in any scenario. So that's why it's easy to, to think about some of these guys like Everett and Shaheen crashing that group. But can we think of a scenario where guys like Everett and Shaheen crash the next group? And Shaheen with the Bears, um, I guess it depends on how much you like Mitchell Trubisky. And I, I, I don't see that. Like, I'm almost more I'm more excited in a couple of years to see, like, what Steven Anderson can do with. To Sean Watson, after what Lazy Leggett did, what he did with Lazy Leggett at, at, at Clemson, you know. So I, I, I just with Shaheen, I again, I'm just, I'm just playing it out, and I like Shaheen the player, but is he going to be dominant? Is he going to be a player that is it like Travis Kelsey? Like when we watch Travis Kelsey at Cincinnati, like you, he made you like stand up, you know. He's the one guy who deserved the baby Gronk nickname. I don't know if Adam Shaheen is is a baby Gronk, you know. Um, Eric Green, brother. You think he's an Eric Green? <laughs> I just had to throw it out there. Remember Eric Green? Sure. Oh yeah, the Steelers relevance. I think that was the player they got when they traded down and let the Cowboys take Emmett Smith, right? It was the, that year, the, yeah. I guess it would have been. It was right. the year the Cow- the Steelers let the Cowboys. See, it's always going to come back to the Steelers when you have me and Matt on a show. <laughs> I remember that though. I remember it so well. They let the Cowboys trade up. I was a big Eric Green fan, though. He was he was a good player. Liberty, Liberty, right? Liberty, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Before Eric Green would have fit in well in this NFL. You know the the oh, the, yeah. the gaudy physical uh, talent. So, but with Shaheen, I mean, he could be a solid player, but I, I just I didn't see enough there when I picture him with the Bears to picture him as a player that you know probably the the most interesting of these second tier tight ends is probably Smith just for a destination and the long-term projection. And I have to grapple with that. Although I think that he's not the finished product as a receiver that Everett and uh, Shaheen is coming along and, you know, even Bucky Hodges is a receiver, but Shaheen just I, I, nothing like it didn't make any exclamation parks marks go off in my head when I thought bears, eh, second round's great, but I don't know. See, I agree with you on Shaheen, but I'm a lot higher on Everett. Like, to me, they're not even in the same range. Like, to me, Everett is closer to Njoku than he is to Shaheen. I agree. But, yeah. But, with it, it, but did you like Tyler Higby last year? Yes, and I was kind of bummed by that. I, I you know, I'd stashed him all year, but he didn't play well last year. So, can, so this, can this offense feed two tight ends to that extent? It almost would be like if you didn't like the – if you didn't like Cup and Reynolds, it'd be easier to buy into to Everett. But this all comes back – maybe the title of the show is going to be buy Jared Goff for pennies on the dollar. That's what I was saying earlier is because I like McVay, I'd much rather have Goff than Trubisky. I like that system far better. Yeah. I mean, Everett just screams Jordan Reed to me. Yeah. Um, I, I think that Rams offense is all by low. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point, too, about McVay. And on the other side is John Fox. Do we think of inspiring offenses under John no. Fox? And do we even think of the Bears having John Fox as their head coach in a year or two? Exactly, right. He wasn't even in on the pick. Sig, another player that uh, you're a bit of an outlier on, very high on, is Ishmael Zamora, a player you've already talked about. Of course, he did not did not get drafted, but the Raiders scooped him up, which – I love as a landing spot. You've got him at 24 overall, uh, putting him maybe in that second round range of rookie drafts. What are your thoughts on Zamora? 
Yeah, and Zamora is another player that has been moving down for players like Connor and Joe Williams and, and so on. But he's still basically free in rookie drafts. You know, I'm I'm on the I'm I'm one pick from being on the clock in hyperactive two, and I think that he is still there with four six. It's it's at four five, and and just so people just give people some real time information here. So four six, which is going to be because there's 13 picks in the first round. Uh, you're, you're talking what the 43rd pick. Right, um, Sig. I'm in the league with you. Oh no, no, you, but you're on the other. You're on the other side of the bracket, right? You're, I don't think no. You're hyper. You're yes, huckleberry. you are. You're huckleberry. Oh, okay, because we're <laughs> the exact same pick then on both both of them. Yeah. We're on so, four seven. So this should this should really. Because I tried to trade up for Zamora for four five, and I couldn't get it done. So, but this should really accentuate for people how much these picks are worth, right? So I'm on the clock at four four six. I mean, I'm one pick from the clock. I'm on deck, and Kaiser Westbrook. And Zamora and Johnny Smith are all still there. Um, so this is a great draft to have if you have the roster spots. Because that's the other thing. It's like I, I'm 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 gonna have to cut someone like Eli Rogers for this pick, but I think I'm gonna get someone with a higher ceiling than Eli Rogers. Um, but th- this should really illuminate for people just how valuable these fourth round picks can be this year. Because let me tell you, Deshaun Kaiser can be a top five or seven fantasy quarterback, no doubt in my mind. Yep. DD Westbrook can be a high-end wide receiver three, like a really good two to Allen Robinson. And Ishmael Zamora can be that same player. And I think the key, if people didn't hear it in the pre-draft analysis of Ishmael Zamora, is that he, in this draft, and Matt, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, but I think Ishmael Zamora, the kind of receiver he is, even with the limited tape he showed, is a third or fourth round pick in most drafts. And an upside third or fourth round pick, a high ceiling, low floor third or fourth round pick, because he's a long receiver. He's um, got some suddenness. He's got good and more than good enough straight line speed. He's got good enough. He's got a better straight line speed probably than than Mike Williams. He's shown enough ball skills, enough over the middle of the field that there's there's a lot to work with. And the fact that he went undrafted is because of the, uh, the incident when he was uh, um, beating a dog on tape and. And look, run your team however you want. That's the fun thing about fantasy football. You're the GM. So if you're going to make a rule that I, you know, I, I love my dog, animal cruelty, something we don't tolerate on my team, hey, that's what's fun about it. But if if you don't, if you have a, you know, a more, but like the Raiders, the classic Raiders, <laughs> right, right. you know, that I'm not, that's not going to stop me. Then if Ishmael Zamora, just if he just makes the team, that's all we're looking at. If he just makes the team, and Matt, you can comment on this too. I think that we would all be better served once they're through their first camp with the exception of maybe first and second round picks. Cause first and second round picks get more chances to fail forgetting when they were drafted and good organizations are going to forget when they were drafted. Uh, if Ishmael Zamora undrafted free agent, Ishmael Zamora third round pick, if he plays up to his talent is going to be the number three wide receiver for this team in pretty short order. And as Matt Baldwin was saying on my show this week, kick Michael Crabtree inside of the slot you have you have Zamora with Amari Cooper on the other side. You have a great young quarterback and offensive line. You have a winning organization, and they're even in Vegas, so nobody cares about what you did before in Vegas. And two years from now, is Crabtree going to be a factor still? No, you know, I mean, no. it, it, he's a declining asset. So this is that this is that path to fantasy relevance in the three year window. Can Ishmael Zamora be a starting wide receiver opposite Amari Cooper in a Derek Carr led offense? Absolutely, he can. Yeah, he could be the Alvin Harper. Well, Sig, now you have me worried. I, in, in this same draft you're talking about on the other end of the league. I'm going to jump in front of you, Beats by Gray. Ah. I'm, I'm two picks away. <laughs> but, 
Zig, your good friend, Matt Waldman, is on the clock right now. Oh. And Zamora uh, is available. I'm not even going to offer him. D.D. Westbrook is also available. So, I don't know. Does does Walt... Gear gear post-draft RSP, everybody. See, if you got the post-draft RSP, (laughs) you probably already know who he's going to draft. Uh, I was I was looking for some hints there. Uh, well, Sig, you uh, uh, just a few days before we got to watch the NFL draft and got to take all that in, you shook Twitter up with with a few comments regarding this tight end class and uh, especially comparing them to the new favorite son of the dynasty tight end uh, group, Hunter Henry. And I, I don't want to misquote you, but I believe you said that you would rank. Uh, the these top three Howard yeah. and uh, and Joku and Evan Ingram all immediately ahead of ahead of Hunter Hunter Henry and that was again before we knew landing spots. I think you said some of these other guys in that second tier, Shaheen and Everett and Johnny Smith, were also in contention to be placed ahead of him. So is that a knock on Henry or does that go to just the the impressive tight end class or a little bit of both? A little bit of both, right? Um, and I, I think that I think that folks have gotten a little bit ahead of themselves with Henry because of his efficiency catching touchdowns last year. But uh, I think that if we were to evaluate these guys in a vacuum and strictly looking at what we care about for fantasy football, receiving ability, I don't think Hunter Henry's on the level of Everett. I don't think he's on the level of Shaheen. I don't think he's on the level of uh, Bucky Hodges, or um, I think he's maybe roughly around the level of Johnny Smith, although Johnny Smith has a lot higher ceiling. Um, there's some parts of his game that have to come into focus. If we, if this is, I, I love this, by the way, Matt, I'm going to steal this from you, to put them in the boring Penn State uniforms with no name and watch them play. Would you be excited about Hunter Henry? You know, even his upside right. comparison was like a Jason Witten type player. And Keith maybe Miller. He <laughs> yeah. another Steeler tight end. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. In the right offense, a Heath Miller or Jason Witten can be an outstanding. Or in the right situation, is and and, and look after the draft. I didn't. I and this is not something I could have anticipated. The Chargers with number seven take Mike Williams. How does that make you feel about Hunter Henry? And and I don't care what you think about Hunter Henry for dynasty, but for redraft, I don't want Hunter Henry this year. Not with Antonio Gates still there. Not with four quality wide receivers. And then you know next year. Does Hunter Henry is Hunter Henry really going to be a more prominent target in the eyes? If let's hope, knock on wood, that Keenan Allen's okay. Is he going to be a more prominent target than Tyrell Williams and Keenan Allen and uh, Mike Williams? And then you start to get into like, well, how much longer is Philip Rivers going to be around? So, I, I just think that Hunter Henry had a, a nice first year in terms of touchdowns, but that doesn't portend to me that he's going to be again. Think about what it takes to get to that top five. Is he going to be Greg Olson? Is he going to be Travis Kelsey? Is he going to be Jordan Reed? Is he going to even be Tyler Eifert? I don't think so. He doesn't have the skills of any of those guys. And his situation got worse, not better. So two or three years from now, uh, as Johnny Smith takes over for Delaney Walker, even Adam Shaheen so I, I, that I don't love, Adam Shaheen, if Mitchell Trubisky is mediocre, can be as fantasy relevant as Hunter Henry. Uh, Gerald Everett, you know, as we keep coming back to, if, if he's at least like a... a 2A level target. I, I, I just, I think that in terms of the dynasty tight ends, and let me say this as I go on and on about this though, I will say that I'm not as excited about OJ Howard in Tampa. That I actually 
think that this is going to be a disappointing situation because of the the offense they want to run because Cameron Braid, I think, is a solid player that they're going to keep around. And I think that this is where O.J. Howard might follow the path of Vernon Davis a bit, where he's too good of a blocker, or Zach Miller. The, the, he's too good of a blocker. That the, He's going to be used as a blocker more than we want for fantasy football, where somebody like Evan Ingram, well, if the Giants plan on using him as a blocker, then... <laughs> they'll see you soon enough uh uh so mixed results but i still think that no matter how you cut it like five of your top 20 dynasty tight ends are from this class and probably seven of your top 25 um and uh and and then this will be another because you're hyper i gotta give as many plugs to hyperactively as possible what's neat about hyperactively too is that you can take free agents instead of rookies and Rico Gathers, who people are starting to wake up to as the next basketball convert, and Eric Swope, who's the basketball convert that's arriving this year. These guys are also part of that new group. And if you add them in, I think that this, these, the top seven tight ends in this draft, plus those two, those nine should be nine of your top 25. And we're going to be talking about them a lot more in the future. Single, just one more tight end, though. We should probably move yeah. along. But um, Ryan, you know, OJ Howard, I totally agree that he is screaming to me. 420 yards and three or four touchdowns, you know, and, and being a very good football player and may develop into a pro bowler, but I bet he doesn't put up instant numbers, but Ryan had a really good point. I think it was last show saying Najuku Evans, especially Howard, they might be great guys to buy week nine, week 10. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, this is just a classic, like tight, tight end, like slow developing position. Um, even Rob Gronkowski wasn't that relevant and Hunter Henry, you saw what it didn't take much for people to get really excited about him. So our expectations of rookie tight ends are low and the fact they're not gonna be able to help your team much this year could also boost that. Um, and then I guess the other thing you would look at is who else is on the roster of the teams that own these tight ends. So I, I agree. Um, and I, I think that in general, this is, this is a good time to be, keeping tabs on where the players you like landed that you didn't get in your rookie draft. And especially we come around to this time next year, this is, this is like the deep bargain basement discount when these, some of these guys didn't turn the engine over, but <laughs> for every one of those situations, there's always like a Nelson Aguilar, you know, when you think of, Oh, I'm going to get him cheap. And you got, not you got Bubkus, you know? Well, Sig, we want to move into, Kind of what kind of what we're touching on now is uh, yeah. rookie draft strategy, and going back to Matt's point about what I was talking about, I found in some of these early rookie drafts I was doing, I had these three tight ends ranked in that eight to twelve range in my overall rookie rankings, but then when it came to that late first round pick, I just I didn't feel great about taking one of those tight ends, mm-hmm. knowing six months from now, even maybe a year from now, I can buy them for a second rounder or maybe a pair of seconds. So why pay that first now when maybe I should take like a Kareem Hunt, uh, some AJP Ryan, somebody who does have that path to, to fantasy relevancy as you were talking about. So I, I know you've participated in at least two. You've mentioned the, the hyperactive two and the, uh, the Roto world dynasty league that you're doing. Uh, and I know Hyperactive 5 kips, kicks off this weekend. I hope you're ready for that one. Um, and I'm sure you've done some other rookie drafts as well. So what what have you come away from yeah. those drafts as far as strategy, things you found yourself doing, maneuvering to 
maybe target specific players. Just yeah. kind of go off on that for sure, us. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, thank you for the invitation. Not that I yes. ever need one. Um, top five. It's all about getting into the top five. Uh, be willing to g- give up a lot to get into the top five. And don't go out of the top five. Um, I, I, I just think that if you're, if you're really looking at it honestly, uh, again, from a, a dynasty standpoint, these top four running backs are all top 20 running backs in dynasty leagues instantly and probably top 30 or 40 dynasty commodities instantly just because it's so hard to have a running back with staying power and you're getting all of their production ahead of you. So, you know, if you're sitting at six, seven, eight, nine, and, you know, in hyperactive five, Mike Clay is sitting at, at five and I'm sitting at six and he put Mike Williams in his top five rankings. So Mike Clay, I'm putting you on notice. You're going to hold better him to draft, it. You better draft by your rankings. I'm going to be mad. I don't want Mike Clay. <laughs> I might try to move ahead of him anyway. Um, but anyway, so you want to get into the top five. I might not go as far to say to give up your first round pick next year to move into the top five, but I wouldn't say it's obviously a mistake. You know, if you're sitting at 10 or 12 and you can do like 110 or 112. Now, that being said, you know, there's an argument with the opportunity that P. Ryan or Hunt or Kamara have ahead of them that we might look back in a year and say, you know, with all this talk of how great situation is, um, Kamara is in a fantastic situation. Um, even this year, Kamara could be relevant with Peterson and Ingram there. And I don't know if either of those guys are going to be there next year. They give up their second round pick next year to get Kamara. And I didn't love Kamara much like Mac. I didn't love Kamara looking at him pre-draft, but the situation is too much to pass up. Hunt, terrific situation. Uh, Pirine, solid situation. He's a better player than Rob Kelly. No disrespect to Rob Kelly, but he's better. Um, so maybe sitting at 110 or 112, but, but if you could get from like the early second, when those guys are very rarely there, to, to a top five pick and giving up your first next year, I would do that in a second. Um, so otherwise, me, go ahead. I was just going to say, let me interrupt you. We've, we've talked Please. a lot about, of course, rookie rankings and uh, tiers on, on this uh, show over the past few weeks. And I've seen a lot of talk about the top six, the big six. So it sounds like Mike Williams is the player wow. that's out of that group for you. Well, I'm not sold on him from a standpoint of translation to the NFL. And I, unless we find out that Keenan Allen's knee is, you know, spaghetti or um, Travis Benjamin playing on that injury last year debilitated him. Um, I, I just think that, and I will say this for Mike Williams, he, Malcolm Floyd did a lot of the same things that Mike Williams can do. And Philip Rivers riffed very well with Malcolm Floyd. So from that standpoint, the fit is solid. But I, I'm just not – I don't see Mike Williams with an opportunity to, say, break into the top 20 receivers long term. Um, I, 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 it just is a projection for me that I, I can't make. So you see him closer, if you're talking rookie drafts, you see him closer to Kamara, Howard, Hunt, than you yeah. that top five. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, what else? Anything in, in the late first? Yeah, sure. well, the other, so the other thing is, as I said, the the quality of players. So, I mean, in the early second, you might have your fate. I mean, in, in, in the early – so the second round, if you want to sit in the second round, that's where you take one of these potential jackpot running backs, your Joe Williams, your James Conner, um, your Marlon Mack maybe. I don't like him as much. Then for the most part, and if you need, really need a quarterback, um, Deshaun Watson's a very solid pick in the second round. But after that, honestly, the quality of prospects in the second round and the quality of prospects in the fourth round 
isn't that different. This is the year to trade down. This is a year to, to continue to trade down. And this is also a year, if you can, if your rookie drafts are later on, try swinging those, those two-for-one, three-for-two type deals to open up roster spots. Because I think even after rookie drafts, they're going to be solid players on the waiver wire uh, from this rookie class to pick up. So I, I think the other main takeaway here is your 20th ranked prospect and your 40th ranked prospect are going to be very similar. Number 40 this year is better than any other year that I can remember. And everybody's boards are going to be different. So the number 28 pick is probably going to get you your number 21 guy. The number 35 pick is probably going to get you your number 25 guy. And number 40, you might get your one of your top 25. So be willing to trade down in your rookie drafts. You're going to like what you see if you wait, and you're going to be frustrated if you trade up when you see that you could have got someone just as good as the player you traded up for. I totally agree, Say, I think it's a great way to, to kind of end on this. But And there's that spot in the draft, like from 1-8 to 2-6 or so, that I really don't want to be there. I'm, I'm getting out of those picks. But you're right. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, some of these guys that are going undrafted or fourth-rounders could hit huge. It'll be fun. Sig, I, I hate to keep going back to this league we share, sure. but hyperactive yeah. two, Deshaun Watson yeah. – and Trubisky fall to the fourth round. Yeah. That's just stealing, right? Especially with Watson. Yeah. Especially with Watson and, and tr- even Trubisky because we saw – now, this should show you the, the respective quality of rookie classes, right? Because last year, Goff and Wentz were going, what, second? Like late, mid, early second? Yeah, like and, second, I would say. And from a NFL standpoint, the, I, I mean, sorry, Rams and Eagles. I don't think there's that much difference here. And Trubisky is underrated as a runner. And Watson's going to rack up some rushing stats. So I think Watson can easily be instant relevant top 15 or 20 fantasy quarterback this year. And Trubisky can come in that level. You know, there's more of a, of a, a there's a lower floor. I don't know if there's a higher ceiling. But yeah, with, with, this is the year to get a rookie, a quarterback in your rookie draft, especially Kaiser. I feel like the, I, I feel like the, Kaiser has everything you want in fantasy football. So if he busts, he busts. Uh, I, I mean, if you're spending a fourth round pick on him, so what? And I'm going to have, I'm going to have a lot of trouble. So I know that with this pick coming up, I'm going to have to choose between at least two of Westbrook, Kaiser, and Zamora. And little did I think that my sixth pick of the fourth round was going to be so agonizing. And in that same draft that we just talked about in in hyperactive two, I don't even like Wayne Gallman all that much, but I got him at 310. Yeah. I mean, you're seeing some people take him at 25, and Aaron Jones goes at 308. I mean, those two could lead their team in rushing this year. Yeah, yeah. So this is the, the, the running backs are, if in doubt, in those mid-rounds, take a running back. All right, Sig. Thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome stuff as usual and as expected. Uh, I think our listeners probably already know, but just in case, tell them where they can find your work. Yeah, footballguys.com, at Sigmund Bloom on, on Twitter, you know, the Audible. Um, and I'm just sorry that the show, I mean, I feel, I, I, I wish we could just have, like pick up the, the red phone anytime any of us are on the, the clock for these, all these rookie drafts because <laughs> this has helped for me. Click, I've, got, I've gained more clarity talking to y'all. And, and we definitely agree with that, and it goes the other way. And, and, of course, we want to once again congratulate Matt on his big news. Now you two are football guys, brethren. And uh, we're excited to see <laughs> see your work over there at Football Guys, Matt. Uh, look forward to that. Are those rankings going to be posted pretty soon? No, I haven't done them yet. So I'm no. not, I haven't gotten the, the order from the boss yet when to All do right. it. 
Well, the boss says it, you get the thumbs up. Boss says do them right now. <laughs> oh no no it's like a cake you know you have to be patient it'll be beautiful with all of its florets and other things afterwards <laughs> thanks for listening we'll be back next week with more dynasty blueprint 